Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 40% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the second series of The Human Podcast, a place to hear extraordinary human stories that celebrate the limitless potential of human beings. This second series is dedicated to our very human stories of grief and loss, because when you dig down into the core matter of these experiences, what you actually discover is possibly our most unobserved and uncelebrated capacity for courage, resilience and love. Grief requires an expansiveness of self that stretches us to a fourth dimension. The extraordinary thing is that we can contain it, live with it, and that somehow the human heart can hold it all. So if the world is feeling like a dark or difficult place, join us and let your heart be ignited by the fire of the human spirit. Hello, everybody. So I can't quite put into words what an honour it is this week to have our guest, Hassan Akkad. So Hassan is a BAFTA award-winning filmmaker, a photographer and a refugee rights activist who at the start of the COVID-19 pandemic famously started working as a frontline NHS worker cleaning COVID wards at Whips Cross Hospital in East London. Hassan's uniquely impactful brand of activism in the past year has single-handedly resulted in new turns from the government on some of their most hostile and inhumane attempts to remove rights and protection from NHS workers, refugees and their families during this pandemic. The purpose of this series is to explore the multidimensional ways in which human beings can expand the vessels of themselves enough to contain and live alongside their experiences of loss, which of course are not just limited to bereavement. Because human beings don't just grieve people. One of the most life-defining losses we can go through is the loss of the place that is the most profound and mundane in each of our lives. This place, of course, is home. A place it is said you can't possibly understand the foundational profundity of until you lose it. In 2012, Hassan was forced to leave his home in Damascus, Syria, which was being decimated by civil war, where he had stayed until he experienced a series of indescribably traumatic imprisonments, which made it impossible to remain, yet agony to leave they are experiences that Hassan has described as having inflicted permanent physical and emotional scars on his body. 
Hassan's forced decision to leave his home has led him on an extraordinary emotional, physical and geographical journey which has spanned deserts, mountains and oceans, both in a metaphorical and literal sense. A journey defined by his courage, his humanity and his quest for safety and for this profound and perfectly ordinary thing called home. Now, Hassan, in a, in a life where these experiences can run like a raging, roaring, disruptive river <laughs> alongside the rest of life, I find it just totally trite, really, to ask in general how you are. So instead, I wanted to just ask how you are today. I feel a bit embarrassed after your beautiful introduction. <laughs> it's all true. <laughs> Thank you very much. Um, uh, I, I'm I'm okay uh, today. I'm um, I'm feeling. Um, it's quite, a, there's quite a lot going on there. Yeah, it's it? quite a lot going on. Uh, I am currently writing a memoir, um, and it's in the editing phases. And it's been making me feel very anxious because um, uh, I did share my story on different mediums before and not in detail though. And this is the, the first time that I put it all out on paper permanently out there. So it's making, yeah, I'm, I'm anxious and excited at the same time. Um, and yeah, incredibly busy with, um, make, I want to make sure that it's, it's, um, it's done right yeah you said something so so powerful to me just before we started recording you described this memoir as a witness statement i wonder if you could just tell us a little bit more about what what about what you mean by that yes so the um, the decision to write a memoir has been lingering in my head um for a while um I was going to write one four years ago, but then I backed out because I didn't feel like I was ready. Um, but what happened recently since the pandemic started, um, was it my, my, my time in the hospital and working there was traumatizing, but it was also healing at the same time in a very strange way because it um, really boosted my self-esteem. And I felt like I was ready to share my story um, so I did just that. I had decided to write the memoir and, um, it's a story of the past 10 years. And it's also a witness statement because I witnessed and, um, endured <laughs> or not the right word. So I witnessed and I was a victim of both a war crime and 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 in like a, an international crime um so yeah it's a it's a story of what happened in the past 10 years and it's also a witness statement <laughs> amazing well i we we touched on this before but you know what this requires of you is to currently be living in a place where you are intensely resurrecting experiences from the past living intensely with the present as you are going through this extraordinarily brave catharsis of these experiences through writing this incredibly brave witness statement you know in our, in our conversation today 
is about this is about this loss of home which you know really is embodies all the kind of most profound and mundane things that human beings need right and i've heard often which i think is quite an interesting distinction this thing of whether home is is a place or a feeling and um i wonder how that relates to your experience of home i didn't really i didn't really i didn't really appreciate the the importance and the value of home as a place until i lost it and it's I read somewhere, I read somewhere something along the line of it's okay to feel homesick. It means that you've come from a happy place. And um, so for years and years and years now, I've really struggled with the idea of not being able to go home anymore, go back home, home where, I mean, in Damascus, our three bed apartment um, in a really nice neighborhood, which overlooked the city. So you could see Mount mountain Kasyun mountain in the middle of Damascus and you can see the entire city because we lived on the eighth floor mm. and yeah it was it was a, it was a really pretty place and I'm one of five so it was Me always too. yeah <laughs> it was always busy um my dad had a pizza restaurant so he would come back home with unsold pizzas mm. and uh mom uh beautiful human being like quit her job she used to work for a bank and looked at like just to look after us and uh she's always like either drawing or cutting hair or cooking and my siblings and I we really love each other but we always you know like other siblings um <laughs> trying to push each other's buttons um and uh it was a very happy place. It was a very, very happy place. And I have so many incredible memories, my, my, like the birthday parties or um, these movie nights that we used to have because we're all obsessed with movies or just being back home and my mom is, is telling me off. And, um, but when, 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 when I left, I, it was hard to accept the idea that I'm never going to see that place in, again. And the idea of not being able to see that place c cemented over the years, uh, because I'm currently blacklisted, so um, I can't go back to Syria. And I, when my parents visit, because they also had to leave and my brother had to leave, so I think of that apartment, which is probably covered in dust right now, there's no one there except for our photos maybe. And uh, but when my parents were visiting every year, I used to tell my mom to FaceTime me and show me around like a, <laughs> because of just how much I miss it. And um, so I left and it really broke my heart, like to be entirely honest, because I never, it was, <laughs> I didn't have the privilege of traveling when I lived there. So I, it's literally all I knew was that apartment. And uh, I even got the, the location tattooed on my arm because it means so much to me. Um, Can you just describe just what you so, just So Yeah, so it's just a coordinates. It's just a set of numbers. So if you put them on Google Maps, you'll, you'll, you'll <laughs> it takes you straight to that flat. 
um, my friends sometimes take the piss because like if you're a nobody drunk, you can just show the location for the job and he'll take you there. <laughs> um, and um, so that's as a place, um, home as a place. Um, yes, it's it's really hard to, to I find it incredibly difficult to, to, to move on. Hassan, I wonder if you could tell us a little bit more about, um, you know, what it feels like to know that you must leave a place as irreplaceably precious as this place that you have described and the place you have tattooed on your arm. Because what you've described is both, I think, a place and, and a feeling. Um, so every the day I left, everyone was crying, uh, because in our culture, family is a very important thing. And the family home is like, you never, so you know, here how you turn 18 and then you move out. That doesn't happen back home in Damascus. So you stay and you stay and you stay. <laughs> <laughs> and even if you get married, so my sister got married and she moved out, but she would end up st spending every day still like back home with us, bringing our children with us, with her. So it's, it's, it's a very like family and underpins everything in our culture. And, and that's because home is also family. So I remember the day when I packed, I packed 23 years of my life in a single suitcase. Um, and there were so many tears. My mom was crying. And, and 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 my sisters were crying and dad was like extremely like my dad it's hard for him to show his feelings but he was so troubled by what was happening and they were going to take me to the airport um and i left and i remember the day i left i was just i was just looking at the rugs and i was looking at the the pirated films that we had um on the shelves, I was looking out of the balcony, looking out, just trying my hardest to take in as much as possible from that place, which I knew that I wasn't going to go back to. I knew it was going to be the last time I'll see it. And uh, I would, I mean, it, it was extremely difficult. <laughs> <laughs> and um i um still haven't managed to entirely come to terms with with the idea of losing it and dad was driving me to the airport and i don't, we didn't we didn't talk at all it was like a 45 minute journey to the airport and him and mom they were praying and praying and praying in a loud voice, like, may you find happiness. May God always look after you. May, may you be comfortable. And um, I left. It was, it's been eight years and it, it's, it has become easier. But I'm constantly thinking about it. And sadly, because my last two years in Syria were incredibly difficult. I do have dreams now, I, they're more of nightmares than dreams. So I have these nightmares, which are very frequent, where I am back home, I am in Damascus or in our flat, 
but I'm trapped and I just want to leave. So it's, it's, and I'm like out of breath and I'm, I'm like, what, what, why did I come back? And I'm, I'm being chased by the, 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 the authorities and I wake up like feeling so grateful that I'm not there. So it's, you see, there's this paradox of I really miss this place, but when it visits me in my dreams, it's, it's, it's a very bad experience because the, the, the negative things that have happened, the awful memories have taken over the, the, the good, like the beautiful memories. So, yeah. And Hassan, can you just tell us a little bit? So after your parents took you to the airport, that was a, that was a beginning of a, of a whole new journey. Yes, it was the beginning of a whole new journey um, because I did not want to come to Europe. When I left, I still had, I was, I, I, I still had a, a feeling that the, the conflict will be resolved soon and we would be able to go back. So I wanted to stay in the region, um, but I was incredibly lost because because of what happened, because of my time in prison, and because of all the traumas that I had um, gone through. So I was, I just couldn't settle and I applied for a work permit in UAE, which got rejected five times. So I flew to Cairo where my best friends were and they had also escaped because they, they had mandatory military service and they didn't want to join the army and be part of this killing machine. So I was with them and everyone was also incredibly traumatized and bad thing, the, the worst thing about this, that we didn't have the language to describe what was happening with us. So we, now I know that we were all very like so depressed um but we didn't know i we I, well, we weren't educated around mental health and i didn't i didn't i there was some there was a the storm in my head which i couldn't find the vocabularies to describe so i stayed in egypt for like 20 days and then i flew back because i got a work permit and stayed for two years and and then i had some like identity crises because <laughs> um um I used to tell like people I meet people randomly and like where are you from like I'm Syria I'm from Syria and then they would disappear mm. literally they, they, they would they were like oh we're gonna go to the loo and then they would not come back because Syria was associated with blood and bombs and destruction and people didn't want that association and I took I just started drinking a lot and partying a lot and kind of like let myself go for a bit forgot about my values and stuff and it was a very, it was an insane phase of my life. Just the idea of ha having an expiry date on your ID card or on your residency, for me, it makes me so anxious because I, I can't settle, you know? So when it's, when it's all a temporary stay or a temporary visa, having lost home, I, it's fine. It's difficult for me to, to, to rebuild what I lost in Damascus. The sense of belonging is something that to really belong somewhere, you feel there's a sense of forever in yeah. belonging. Yes. And if there's no sense forever, then you, you never can truly feel you belong. 100%. And that's that. that I spent three years circling around um, Damascus in different countries where I found it very difficult to belong. And the, 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 the home is safety. And to feel safe is is the, I think the foundation of safety in a home is to, to 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 for you to to know that you can actually stay there for as long as you want, and that's something that I couldn't find. And thus, in 2015, I made the decision late 2015 that I did my research. I was like, well, 
uh, I need to go somewhere in Europe where I know that if I, you know, if I stay and I don't commit any crimes and if I pay my taxes and I <laughs> contribute in any way, eventually it's a long journey, but eventually I can get citizenship. Mm. And that would, to me personally, would be a massive relief. Mm. And purely because I don't have any other option, I can't go back home. So I'm in pursuit of another home. And yes, I did this whole journey in July 2015, uh, um, where I just boarded a dinghy with my with it was it was the peak of the refugee crisis in Europe, and uh, thousands of people were doing the crossing from from Turkey to Greece. Um, and I did that and uh, trekked for like three thousand miles um, by foot. So by foot and also in lorries and in buses and in trains and uh, in boots of cars, <laughs> so different mediums of transportation until I got to Calais and I was fixated on getting to England because by then I was 27. By doing this, I, I technically left my family behind. But even when they rejoined us when I was in the UAE, I hardly saw them. Like I, I would see them once every other week. Right. which is very unlike me. Right. But again, I I didn't know what was happening, but I, I, I shut myself off from my loved ones and had these awful habits um, of I just want to buy a nice car and like go to the gym and go clubbing because there's was there was this there was there was this void <laughs> which I was trying to fill with these um, with these habits and it's again I I didn't I didn't know what was happening I I didn't have an understanding of what was going on through my head my parents could tell that I was struggling um, based on what little like what little they know of what happened in, in prison but they did see me because when I when I left detention. Um, and just for context, I was detained not for any crimes. I was detained because I was peacefully protesting uh, the authorities. And um, so I left my both like both of my arms were broken, my ribs and my leg was like on the verge of being amputated. So they saw the extent of they, they saw what happened, but I never talked about it. Mm. You know, I never talked like I never sat them down and said, "Listen, this is what happened to me." Um, so yes. I was lost, basically. I was lost. I was, I, 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 I was, um, I, I had, a, I found it very difficult to trust anyone because of, because of what I had witnessed and what I had experienced. When you get beaten up and tortured by your own police force, it really breaks something in you which cannot be built back, especially if you were in, indoct, indoctrinated your entire life to believe that these people will protect you. Or where you are at the receiving end of abuse from another human, which I can't really describe as humans because of what they did, but that also like makes you it just breaks your trust, trust in yourself and trust in other people, and you feel like I I felt like I don't know I I i was i was I was so angry and I was so spiteful and I hated the world and I hated everyone and 
it led me places like it took me to some dangerous places in my head and um so the these are the the feelings that you were um feeling in your body feeling in your mind when you made the decision to then leave the mm -hmm. uae i wonder how it feels to be making that journey when you're venturing into a world which you have such little trust in i wonder if you could tell us about that so i had to write rely entirely on my instinct and i just followed my guts and uh something was telling me that it'll be like it'll be better in britain just although like one like my best friend is in germany i could have went i could have gone to germany and stayed with them but it was i had this instinct that it will it will be better because i will be away from everything that has happened uh physically and emotionally that's what i, I kept telling myself that i need to be as distant as possible and Throughout this whole journey, like, um, I was in disbelief, so that I, I often would pinch myself or have, like chat to my cousin because my cousin was doing the journey with me. Um, so were you with your cousin when yeah. you left the UAE as well, yeah? Yeah. So he was in Turkey, and this other friend, one of my other friends, was also in Turkey. So we made a group and we traveled together, and we would have these conversations along the way of like, is this actually happening? <laughs> It's impossible to integrate it. Because it's, it's, a, it's very difficult to accept the reality that we are on a sinking dinghy, for example, or if we are, we were once transported in a, in a truck that transports uh, kettle and, 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 and sand. And, and it's, it's so dehumanizing, you know, especially mm -hmm. that we all, relatively speaking, had very comfortable lives. I always felt safe. I always felt like, you know, this could happen to other people. Especially in that region, because in Palestine, there were so many refugees who've fled and stayed in Syria. Iraq, people have fled and stayed in Syria. Lebanon, the same. But I always felt like, oh, this can never happen to me. Like, um, I always felt safe. And so you're doing the physical journey of, of going from one place to another. But also mentally, you're, I'm constantly thinking about what the hell is going on. <laughs> How did we sing this low? Like, what? What happened? Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort. 
so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 40% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. But Hassan, what's... And this is a truly kind of mind-altering thing when you when you when you apply the scale that I'm about to talk us through. So the mind-altering thing is when you look at the story you have just told us, what that requires of a human being, the consequence your loss of home has had on you in every possible way. And then you pan out to apply this to the 26 million people in the world today who like you are currently displaced by war and persecution. And then you think about the scale of human consciousness that is currently living in this way. It makes me really think, you know, what the legacy of this scale of homelessness is going to mean for, for, our, for our world, for our, our global community. I'm just interested to hear your, your reflections on that. Um, the refugee population is only going to grow. Mm. It's not going to de- decrease due to climate change and man-made crises and more and more people will flee. Now, Just to give a bit of colour to that, yeah. so on the UNHCR say that at least 79.5 million people around the world have been forced to flee their homes. That's right now. Among them, 26 million of them are, are refugees. Mm. It's just a staggering. And when UNHCR started, it started because there was 1 million refugees. <laughs> and uh, again, it's, it's only going to grow more and more and more. And uh, I think so. And from my personal experience, how I can reflect on this is that this is something that as humanity in general, like uh, collectively, we have to think about how we can deal with this because the, because the rhetoric about people stealing jobs or people coming here for the benefits or the rhetoric that um, uh, there's this myth that Middle Eastern men, when from the cradle, they they have these. They're told from their parents, "Oh, go to America, go to the West." So we need to really think beyond that because this is going to happen. It will. People will leave their homes and seek shelter, seek refuge somewhere else. Now we need to think of how we sh- we better how how do we best um, work around this and process this because when you tell like when you put these walls build walls and fences and 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 um basically tell people that they're they're not welcome even if they're even if they arrive here that will push people to isolation Mm -hmm. and it um it's happened in few countries where there are ghettos of migrants like denmark for example which which is very i mean it has bad effects on the society because when you don't have when you have lack of integration it's uh, um it's it it's it affects it affects the society economically speaking and it also affects the society in a way where people don't feel like they belong mm. 
Mm. And when you don't feel like you belong, you're like, yeah, I don't have to pay my taxes then. Yeah. It has a ripple effect. I don't have, Absolutely. I mean, why do I have to contribute then? I don't, I don't have to do this. This is not my home and they're, they're making me live in this ghetto. So when naturally speaking, communities thrive when people feel a part of them. Yes, 100%. And when I told you the reason why I'll go back to my story, the reason why I wanted to work in that hospital, because I did, I was made to feel welcome. here, And I, that's why I tell you, yes, I consider London my second home, my adopted home. And that's why I feel like, yes, if there's something, something awful happened, the, the worst public health crisis in modern history, I have to, I don't know, I'll, I'll clean the hospital. I don't care. But that naturally happened because I was made to feel welcome. There was a family who given me a spare room in their house in Brixton, where I lived with them for a whole year until I got back on my, on my feet. And like my friends who've, who've always been very supportive and yeah, it's the naturally it led me to feel part of the society. I do consider myself a Londoner now and I want to contribute in the best way I can. You're the best of us. <laughs> you are. You're the best of us Londoners. Um, now, Hassan, when, um, when we spoke recently, and it's something you touched on at the beginning of our conversation, you, you did say this, this beautiful thing that, you know, after everything that you've been through alongside this, the kind of continuing incredibly complex and painful um, experience of loss of home that you you live with really on a day-to-day -day basis and, and and everything that that comes with that you have started to feel a sense of home re-emerging in London through community you said through community love and the rebuilding of purpose and i just love you to tell us a little bit more about about that um so yeah my experience here has been has been great i i um of course still there are difficulties but uh since i've been here since 2016 i managed to in a way I managed to start the journey of moving on from what happened in the past the journey of healing yeah, yeah. Um, and it wouldn't that journey wouldn't have started if I didn't have the basic foundations of that journey where I have new friends new community I have new places to build new memories in. People that love you, by the way, so fucking much. <laughs> I can testify to that. <laughs> and and I have I have a place that I can I can start calling home. And and um and again, it's I told you again, people make that people make homes. You know, uh, memories, these events, this would things that we do, um, going to music festivals or going for a walk along the canal or going to going to Epping Forest and and these walks and these hikes and these birthday parties that we have and these late night outs. I have to say I remember seeing you posting some pictures of Glastonbury. Yeah. One year that I couldn't go because I think I'd just given birth. <laughs> <laughs> and feeling incredibly jealous of you all there together. 
So, so, so all, all of these... Britain has loads of shit things, but we do have Glastonbury. Yeah, <laughs> which is great. And I didn't miss a year since I've been here. <laughs> and again, I mean, all of these things that I've just listed um, make me feel like at ease, make me feel, yes, I can settle here. And even logistically, so my... When I was when I came here, I was granted five years residency, um, political asylum. It expires next March, uh, but I am eligible to apply for an indefinite one. Right. Okay. So that's even makes me feel even better, you mm-hmm. know. And uh, that's amazing, Hassan. It's it's it? yeah, yeah, it's 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 great. It's yeah. it's it's. It, it's going back to this thing about belonging. Yeah. Uh, to truly belong, you can't ever be. You, sh- you should never be able to f- imagine an endpoint. Absolutely. You know, to where you can be. Absolutely, and that's why I always feel like I, um, like I need to care about issues here as much as I care about issues in Syria. So when I and uh, and it took me a while. I'll give you an example. The first three years in Britain, I didn't feel like it was my right to talk about um, issues in Britain, politically or like anything Brexit or any any issues that happen inside the country because I didn't feel like it's my thing you know it's it's not um I didn't feel like I am entitled to talk about these things but but now I do you know now the fact that I live here and I I mean I pay my taxes here and I drink water here and I uh, I contribute here and this I I feel like this is my country too mm. and I care about it and that's it why is. I have to I have to be I have to I have to get involved I have to mm. and and that's that's really useful mm. <laughs> because so that sense of belonging it, that sense of belonging is very very useful because if had I not met these incredible people who have made me feel like home I would have been pushed into the black market you know and I would have been pushed to 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 to, to the corners of society where so interesting you know making people feel like they don't belong is so dangerous yes it's it's dangerous for the for the individual people in question and and it's dangerous for our communities and our country as a whole for the world as a whole absolutely and uh i'm going to give you a very extreme example but because i read about this a lot about um radicalization so um, um groups that have radicalized um, young men, how did they do that? They did it by offering them three things. Money, because um, they need money. Uh, uh, a, a sense of belonging and purpose, especially after they've lost their homes, and an opportunity to revenge. And all these three things have pushed vulnerable people into re- getting radicalized. So if if the rhetoric, if 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 any country in the world enforces that feeling it's dangerous for all of us yeah. you know but if it counters it with yeah give people a second chance you really are on the on the right path to to to, to help these millions of people who have been displaced so the language is very important enabling people to to feel that they belong makes the world a safer better more thriving place for everybody. If you if you tell me Hassan, you're one of us, uh, and um, you belong here, it means the world to me. Literally means the world to me, and it makes me feel like it, ma- it makes it makes me feel like I I need to you know like this is 
it makes me feel like I belong again. It makes me feel like I want to contribute here. And this is, and naturally this is what happened eventually because I was losing my mind um, when the pandemic started, literally losing my mind. Because as I told you from the beginning, I have um, put all of this misery behind me, moved away from it as long as, 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 as far as possible. But I was still engaged. I was still fundraising for refugees in Syria and I was still talking about it the whole time. And I was still trying everything in my power to help. And when I made Britain home or made England my home, uh, but when I started slowly seeing that danger is following me here, the pandemic and the lockdown, I, I, I was like, I, I need to do something because <laughs> I can't lose this place again. Like, I, I can't do this again. I can't. So re-triggering re a sense yes. of lack of safety, I suppose. Yeah, and I can't go through this again. Yeah. And this place, has, this, this, this place has offered me a second chance and I need to help. I need to help in any way possible. Mm. How do you feel London? Do you feel London has has opened its arms to you? Yeah, it did. Truly. Yeah, 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 it did. I didn't have a single negative experience here. It's all been very positive. Hassan, I wonder if you could tell us what, what does courage feel like? Um, for me recently, I think courage feels like, it, I think it takes a lot of courage to be vulnerable. <laughs> I've been thinking about this a lot. And... Uh, Especially someone in my from my background, I I grew up in a in a misogynistic culture. So I I spoke about the positives and going back home, but also it's got so many negative things. And one of them is misogyny and sexism. And as a man, as a boy, you know, you are raised to to believe that you or to think that you shouldn't cry. And I was twelve when I was taken to an active military training. 12 years old when I was given a check rifle to, to fire bullets on the target. So, um, yes, I, <laughs> it was, uh, um, um, it's very, very common if you are like, if you're expressing any emotions or any feelings for, for my friends or even some family members to tell me to man up, um, or grow up. So, I, as a result of my of these things, I I didn't feel like I can express my feelings, and I was always suppressing things, and I didn't feel like I can be vulnerable. But having endured everything that happened in the past and having gone through all of these experiences, I um. I now. Don't shy away from being vulnerable. Don't shy away from being emotional. Don't shy away from doing a really good cry. Don't shy away from calling my friends and saying I'm having a very bad day because I couldn't do it in the past. Like even two or three years ago, I couldn't tell someone I'm not feeling all right. You know, my friends would be like, are you okay? I'm like, yeah, yeah, or everything's fine. But it's taken me time and it's taken me, I think, courage, yes, to break away from these things that I was raised to believe and being open and saying, yeah, I, I'm having a bad day. I'm not okay. <laughs> and yeah, does that make sense? 
more than you could possibly know. <laughs> um, so Hassan, one of the things that we're doing in this series is really trying to provide and you know a, a richness of language to describe this very human thing called grief and loss, which um, relies on wholly um, insufficient platitudes and cliches and I think that's partly because we don't talk about it enough and so um and 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 one of the things that we want our 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 guests have been doing so beautifully this season is is bringing to the conversation a piece of writing or a, a poem or or a piece of advice from that somebody else has given to you or something that you've found that you feel really speaks to your experience. So I was wondering what your contribution would be for us. Yes, so my contribution would be uh, a verse from the Quran. <laughs> so I'm not, it's a, uh, I'm not that religious, but I still find a lot of beauty in, in the Arabic language and in the Quran itself. And there's a verse which is very short, but it says, إِنَّمَا الْعُسْرِ يُسْرَ And إِنَّمَا الْعُسْرِ يُسْرَ translates to with hardship comes ease um and this is very relevant to me because i um we, we're all gonna have a bad day we're all gonna experience the loss of a loved one or of home or of a, like a a job that we always liked or we always we're all gonna lose something and especially the pandemic and what happened recently, like just this, this, this really difficult time for everyone. But from, I can tell you from what happened with me is that they, these, this loss, um, we're never going to, I think in, in my, in my personal view, we're never going to get, when we're, we're, it's, I don't, I refuse to say I want to move on. No, I, I, I say I want to learn how to live with it. Mm-hmm. Um, and learning to live with this loss. And of course, I mean, it shaped my character. And it, I am who I am because of everything that I lost in the past. Um, so that's that's the ease. All of this loss with, with hardship, with the loss comes ease. And now I... I I am incredibly lucky to, to be where I am because I, I I have a place that I can call home. I have I have I have a beautiful, incredibly smart and amazing partner. I have really good friends. I have a rewarding career, and all of this took a while. <laughs> it didn't take just a couple of days or a few months. It took a few years. So, but yeah, I if that's I'll, I think. With hardship comes ease. <laughs> so many people that love you so much, Hassan. <laughs> Thank you. Um, now, um, just to move to our final question. So if there's one person alive or, or past who would want to be proud of you, who would that be? My dad. <laughs> Mm. <laughs> my dad is very loving and uh, like I adore him and 
growing up, he never said, he never told me that he loved me or he was proud of me. But he was always providing and he was always He was a bit remote, and uh, but he was always there, <laughs> and he never said, "I love you" or "I'm proud of you," until the day I was re- released from detention. Mm-hmm. He hugged me so tightly, and he kept saying, he kept whispering in my ear, "I'm so proud of you. I'm so proud of you." And that was one of the most difficult moments of my life because. It was a bit emotional, <laughs> and uh, it's hard for me to be away from them, especially like my mom and dad, because I want to be supporting as much as possible. And I regret that there were stage, there was a stage in my life where I wasn't supportive at all. And I'm trying now to to, to do the opposite. I try, I'm trying to be supportive as much as I can. And recently, like. Uh, because of everything that I was doing in the past, a lot of his friends pick up on news pieces that I'm in or like an article about me and they send it to him and then he forwards it to me and he said, Hassan, I'm so proud of you. And so he's already proud, but I want him to remain proud of me. <laughs> and uh, yeah, I, uh, I, I, it's 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 beautiful to be here. It's great to be here. I built a new home, but being away from them, and I can't tell you like I I always dread. <laughs> I always dread, or I I don't want to think. But I think about it like God forbid. Sometimes if something happens where I get this phone call. Like, I'm going to be, <laughs> I don't know how I'm going to be, but it's going to be very, very difficult because, because I haven't seen them in a very long time. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, I'm glad that they've recently been proud. Hassan, <laughs> we all are. <laughs> Thank you. Literally bursting at the seams with it. <laughs> oh, God. I wish we could stay yeah, and talk. <laughs> for the rest of the day but maybe we'll go and carry on yeah. go and get a coffee but so Hassan just to finish today what's been just one of the most extraordinary conversations and time with somebody I've truly I've ever had I wondered if you could just let us know what song if it was possible to dedicate to this conversation to your story what will that be is it okay if it's an Arabic song it it would be beautiful <laughs> song, whatever song you would like it to be it's a song by a an incredible artist called Fadas Sleiman and the song is called Crushed Coffee wow and um it's a it's a i love the song because it's um it's an incredible song but even the words he starts with an incredible metaphor about coffee and i'm obsessed with coffee and uh, um, reflecting on, so the song move on to using that metaphor about crushing coffee and cardamom and everything, like the ingredients in, in, in Arabic coffee, and then goes to talk about um, his loss 
and there's a, like a, a line in it where he says because it's like a love song too and he tells her like the horses without you are incredibly sad so it's it's very like the beautiful language because i love the beauty of the arabic language and it's it's a, it's it's not an entirely sad song it's a it's a it's a love and sad and beautiful song at the same time <laughs> hassan thank you my pleasure for all you are for all you do my pleasure it's been an absolute privilege so to play us out here it is farash Sleiman, crush coffee we love you. Love you وطحن بقلبك بن وبكي دمع من هال يوم الانت تهان ما هن عادوا انت ولا انت عدتهن وطحن بقلبك بن وبكي دمع من هال يوم Thank you all so much for listening. If you'd like to rate, review and subscribe to us on your podcast app, then please do. And you know the score, five stars, please. If you'd like to come and say hello on Instagram, then you can find me and all things human podcast related at This Is Jess Mills. This podcast was created and hosted by me, Jess Mills, with creative co-production by Bonnie Tyburn and produced by Joel Porter at dot dot dot. Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work. When your skin feels nourished and glows, you radiate confidence. Osea makes giving your skin a glow up easy with their clean, clinically proven Mega Moisture Duo. This seaweed-powered duo features two of Osea's best sellers, Andaria Algae Body Oil and Andaria Collagen Body Lotion. Glow from the inside out. Get 10% off your first order with code GLOW at oseamalibu.com. That's O-S-E-A-Malibu.com, code GLOW.